Welcome to Inspire and Innovate, a podcast for educators. We are educators and instructional coaches at St. Andrew's Episcopal School in beautiful Jackson, Mississippi. Our Inspire and Innovate movement seeks to make visible the expertise of teachers while also upping our game in conversation with other thought leaders. I'm Shay Egger and I work with early childhood and elementary school faculty to support the use of different teaching strategies and tools to foster real world learning experiences for students. I'm Toby and I teach fifth grade math I'm Julie Rust, and I work with middle and upper school faculty to explore the many ways we can cultivate learning experiences with youth to invite them into engagement with content, skills, and community. Y'all, teaching is hard, and it's never been harder than the past 11 months or so. That's why our first series is dedicated to investigating teaching in the time of COVID. Michael Nockbar is the Executive Director of Global Online Academy, a pioneering network of schools and educators reimagining learning to empower students and educators to thrive in a globally networked society. Michael is a frequent speaker and workshop facilitator at national and international conferences and presents on such topics as educational trends impacting schools, modern teaching and learning, and global education. Michael is an active board member for several education organizations, including Lakeside School, National Association of Independent Schools, and Independent School Association Network. He has served as a founding board member of the Mastery Transcript Consortium, Summer Search Seattle, and Jump Foundation. During our discussion with Michael, we quickly got into the nitty-gritty of the learning experiences we designed for youth. We discuss the unique affordances and possibilities inherent in asynchronous online education, finding your North Star as an educational community, and the intricacies of the decisions teachers make every day. I found our conversation refreshingly pragmatic, and I hope you do as well. Let's get into it. Well, Michael, again, we just want to thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedule. We understand that that uh, you know the idea of different time zones and you know finding time to get together sometimes can be super challenging but i mean that's that's part of goa's ethos right so uh, i kind of want to start with with just a question goa has just celebrated a big milestone 10 years of pushing the boundaries of curriculum collaboration and connection tell us about your experiences that have led you to be so passionate about reimagining education and supporting faculty and students in quality online learning Sure. Well, and thank you again for having me here. It's a pleasure to talk to you. So I, there, are, there are a few different experiences that I think braid together that highlight my passion for this work. First is that I have always loved curriculum development um, and had the fortune to work at a school that was really very much project-based um, and emphasized depth and exploration um that created a lot of opportunities for students to think about how their understanding of a topic transferred across different subject areas right so it was a social studies based curriculum within the whole school and so whatever you were studying you would look at you know like mesopotamia from the viewpoint of history and math and art and really could see how those things were connected and I, i love that i love the ability just the idea of just slowing down um, the depth versus breadth, um, and being given a full year to focus on a single topic was just, I think definitely inform the way that we think about curriculum. Just, there has never been an emphasis that we have to cover all of these different things at GOA, but that we want to ignite students' passions in, in different areas of, uh, interest. Oh, that's great. Um, I, d- I don't want to interrupt. I know you're moving on to the next braid, but I just have to say, Linda this morning sent me one of your uh, pieces about finding your North Star. And I was so mad that she sent it to me this morning because literally yesterday I was trying to make that same point in a much less articulate way without that lovely metaphor. Um, this notion of as an institution, you have to know sort of what is your overarching flavor, right? What is your overarching pedagogical approach? Um, is it PBL? Is it something different? And only then can curricular mapping, we are in the midst of curricular mapping, it's on my mind right now. Only then can it can you really do that work in a way that is thoughtful 
and um, aligned across experience to experience. So just when you said curriculum, I just had to jump in and say that that came at such a timely, well, slightly late, but still really timely uh, thing. And I really appreciated your take on that. I, I mean, I totally agree. And, and I think as we continue the conversation around, you know, why certain schools just the way they navigated this past year, I think that's a big part of it is, you know, articulating that North Star, knowing what drives you um, and what drives the program and making sure that everybody is aligned to that. I mean, that's really, really important. So just kind of continuing, I think one of the other pieces for me that I saw was um, the, the just my, some of the history I have around skills-based curricula, skills development, CBL. Um, you know, again, like I used to, at one point I was a director of technology and, and the way that tech previously had been approached at the school I was at was, was that, was that it wasn't so much around skills. It was around just, um, like how that time was used and, and what was driving what, right? Mm -hmm. So a computer class would be used for students to do research for a history paper, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Rather than flipping that and proactively teaching the skills that students would need so that they could explore different options and projects within lots of different classes. So identifying what those skills were that students should be acquiring and practicing at different grade levels and articulating that in a full scope and sequence rather than, um, you know, making it reactionary or, um, or, you know, more focused on the content, I think was, was another big shift for me. Um, can I, can I just jump in real quick? You yeah. know, we talk, we talk a lot as educators about, um, you know, having tools in our tool belt, uh, for teaching, right? So that when something comes up in the classroom, we, we have another, another thing that we can pull out that we can, that we can do another resource or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about teaching students, right? Giving them tools that when they go on to whatever their next level is that they have a lot of different resources that they can pull from to be able to learn new material or to be able to you know do new things i, I love that absolutely i totally agree and 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 sometimes it's it's just exposing them right and they don't have to exhibit mastery at every level eventually we want them to be working towards mastery but even as teachers yeah. just being exposed to some of the different you know exposing somebody to like PBL, they don't have to be a PBL expert right. to develop that first project. Um, so, or even just knowing that there are a lot of different approaches out there. And, and I, I think it's also important that, that like sometimes a lecture can be the thing that, right. yeah. that is the way to deliver the material. Sure. It, there's a lot of different arrows in the quiver and on the, <laughs> both the student and educator side knowing what is at your disposable and understanding when and how to use each is, I think, super important. Great. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. And then, um, and then for me, the last piece was just prepping for at the, when we founded GOA, we had a, we had a founding meeting where we invited a group of schools to Seattle to talk about and dive into some of the details around what GOA could be and what we were thinking about. We had done like a tremendous amount of preparation for this. And we kind of, you know, wrote an outline of what this school could be. But one of the things that was missing was like, nobody really knew what, when it came to the classes, what exactly we were talking about. Um, so it was all very conceptual. So one of the things that we did was we pulled a small working group of teachers together at Lakeside School to try to develop an, you know, two week modules that then could be shown at this meeting so that we had a common understanding of what it was, you know, that we, we were talking about. And, um, I mean, I love those meetings. I remember the first one we had where there were six of us and we got together and we blinked at each other a lot, right? Like we realized very quickly that that there was not going to be just a, 
you know, moving what we did on in our classes into an online space. Like that was kind of our first understanding. Um, but then I think it grew pretty significantly from there in the way that different teachers were approaching how to reimagine how they wanted students to not just interact with one another, but interact with the material. Mm-hmm. Like one teacher, for example, in a science class, he was talking about in his, it was an earth science class. And he usually, it was, I think the assignment was around photosynthesis. And usually he would have the students create a slide deck illustrating their understanding of photosynthesis, right? It was very deductive. Here's the theory. How is it applied? And what he did in the online version was he gave them a slide deck that he made mm-hmm. and he had them narrate it, right? Oh, so he went from he went from the application yeah. and what the students had to do was was more inductive where they had to identify what the theory was that was driving the science. It was really interesting. I mean, and this is, he's an amazing teacher, one of the best educators I've ever known. And, and for him to go through that process in a manner, matter of weeks, where he said, you know, I would never have thought to flip it around like mm. that had I not lost. And this is, I think, one of the big pieces to all of it. If I had not lost some of that daily contact, right? Yeah. So when that was taken away, I had to adapt to that new environment. And that was tremendous. So yeah. that 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 was very, um, that's definitely like one of the strong strands for me was seeing these incredible educators approach their craft in such a new way um, really showed for me the possibilities of what this could be. Oh, well, Michael, I, I, so I am new to GOA. I'm new to independent schools. This is my second year in this position. And I have to say, I've been really looking forward to talking to you because I can tell from my, my short sort of reading through resources on GOA and looking at the, and actually taking a few of those courses this past summer, um, that it is so centered on the expertise of teachers. And this is why we're so excited about this podcast in terms of thinking through, you know, what can we get both macro, big picture, and also micro, like everyday reality, what decisions are teachers making? And I just, I had this feeling that we were going to jump into the interview and we were going to get real specific real quick. And that, I mean, I'm a teacher, Linda's a teacher. We are teachers at heart. That is where we live, right? And so that that example for me also really illustrates how so often students benefit when we have actual particular structures in place um, for them to then riff on, right? And so we often think, I think, in PBL and in student-centered learning in general, the more open we make it, the better. But that's not really fair, Mm. right? Because our students are often novices in the discourses and in the disciplinary communities we're inviting them into. So that scaffold, that support of having a slide deck already prepared um, that's probably pretty high quality, that probably has these major points, but then making the space for that student voice within to then make sense of that in talk as opposed to writing. I mean, that has like all the markings of just like this, but you're right, it's stellar, but it's also a flip from what we typically see, I think, in those kinds of assignments. So anyway, that that was such a great right. little micro moment that I just had to shout and, out. And you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking, wow, okay, so we now, within this virtual world, understand flipped classroom, but what you're talking about is flipping learning, right? So like you said, going from that didactic to, to really much more of an organic understanding or an organic assessment of what kids actually actually know I mean I think that's so important and I'm not sure that we've all really gotten there yet um, which is why GOA is is such an amazing platform Um, and especially with your Center for Professional Learning and your new design lab I mean I'm so excited about these opportunities for teachers to like I said put more tools in their tool belt expand what they do learn grow and network with each other Um, is how is how is GOA's mission adapting um, to to this moment of pandemic and this this upcoming moment of post pandemic? Uh, you know, you brought up that North Star. Our mission for us has definitely been a North Star. Um, we also I, we have kind of an iceberg mission. 
We have the main statement, right, to reimagine learning, to empower students and educators to thrive in a globally networked society. And then we have how we do that is under it. We just, it gets too long and it's not, it's not as memorizable, memorable <laughs> as the opening of it. Right. But I think the rest of it actually does identify the way that we've adapted and continued to serve in these three different ways. Because the next part is, um, the, the next part is that, that we do this through classes for students, right? So that we are creating, we deepen learning through courses that equip students with the knowledge, skills, and dispositions to be successful in high school, college, career, and life. And that definitely continues to drive the different programs that we create on the student side. Um, the way that we create the course catalogs, the way that we train our faculty, right? We are very much a CBL program, competency-based learning program, working with teachers where everything, every assignment, every discussion prompt is aligned to the competencies that we've outlined as an organization. Um, and then on the Center for Professional Learning, we coach teachers to think differently about how they design student learning experiences. So we are very much advocates of coaching educators um, and helping them think about their role in designing, um, right? We, we don't, you know, again, this is one of those part pieces that we lost, which was the teacher in front of the classroom, you know, quote unquote, teaching class. It's a major shift that has to happen when you move into an online space the way that we do it, which is asynchronously, where you're not teaching class anymore. You are designing a learning experience. When you unpack that, that's like, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, it's a big shift that, that occurs. And then, and then the last piece is that we work with educational leaders to ensure they have strategies and tools to lead innovation and change. And that very much aligns to the work that we're doing in the design lab, right? Helping audit online classes and different programs for schools, um, providing we've got some leadership coaching programs. We've got a lot of tools, right? Like we created a CBL toolkit. And, um, and so how are we helping leaders support all of this work? And those three pieces together we see as kind of the pillars of GOA, the student program, educators, and leaders. And most, I, I might even want to differentiate like leaders and what we mean by that. Yeah. We really focus less on school heads or although that's important and more on like the middle leaders within our schools, right? The curricular leaders, the faculty coaches and, and the people who are kind of translating from that vision of what the school, where the school is headed to the work that's on the ground. And, and, and that's another piece that I would highlight um, that I think is very mission oriented for us is that we are about putting these ideas into practice on the ground. Yeah. Um, we don't necessarily work with schools just on that theoretical, how are you thinking about mm -hmm. things differently? We really sure. want to work with how are you doing things differently? That's right. And that came out of the student program that we launched, which was served almost like a lab school uh, for us and for our school. So, sorry, I've been talking, but yeah, it's... Um, multi-pronged for sure. Hey, you just described my job. Yeah. And now I see why I have truly, like GOA has been one of my just favorite sort of uh, storehouses and resources for, for, for equipping me and what I do in the everyday micro realities of, of what teachers are facing. And I love what you said about uh, designing learning experiences. And I think what's also really important to think about is that is a mind shift that's really important, not just in online education, but in, in teacher ed, right? And so in my past life, I was an education professor, and we would always talk about what you're doing is not, you're not teaching students, you're designing learning experiences. Because mm. what that does, it, it does something so powerful, um, because even when you're just lecturing in a face-to-face -face classroom, 
that's a that's a particular learning experience you've designed, right? You have determined that this particular structure, which as we've said, that can be a really powerful tool in the tool belt. That that's not a that's not a thing not to ever do. Um, but that is that needs to be a deliberate choice, one that is all about again centering the student experience in that moment in terms of how their relationship to do content or to an, a skill or to practice or you know in, in engagement, whatever that may be. Um, so I, I just I just wanted to highlight that in terms of any teacher listening to this, whether or not you're teaching mostly face-to-face -face or online if you can think about okay I'm not lesson planning about how I'm going to teach I'm lesson planning in order to design um, a learning experience I think that that's powerful and, and can really shift how you how you do that planning it's so. really transformative really yeah. transformative yeah yeah, yeah. I, well, I think, I, think touched... I need to take a class from you actually Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well you touched on I think the key word that you that you even said was deliberate and that is again like in the online space in the async, and, and I might even want to differentiate this because in the asynchronous online space, that being deliberate and intentional about the outcomes that you want to see and then creating an experience that drives those mm. is critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's all you've critical. got. It's sort of all you've got. <laughs> like that, and that's what's but different. But it also rents, and it, 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 it's not necessarily how we were taught as teachers, yeah, right? Yeah, like, not at all. You know, I was taught that to create a lesson plan, but to be able to pivot, right? And mm -hmm. that's a gift to have in Respond. a classroom environment. Mm -hmm. You lose right. that in an asynchronous online space. But what you have to make up for then is right. an incredible amount of intention. Um, and, yes. you know, again, this is not better or worse. That's These right. are not pitting things against each other. They're just different learning environments and ways of constructing that, that learning path. So... Yeah, you know, and at the, at we the want same, students to have all of those. Absolutely, and at the same time, we have to we have to be really careful as as teachers that we don't give the kids so much choice that we end up breaking our own backs trying to trying to grade you know one project from here and one project from here and one project for every unit. I mean, I think that that health and wellness piece is so important, and um, and you know, I'm just I'm interested how how does GOA and this is maybe off script a little bit, but how does how does GOA you know, deal with health and wellness for your teachers? So I, we created back in the day, they're like a collector's item now. We created something called the Catalyst Cards. And the Catalyst Cards were a set of strategies that teachers could use to rethink the way that not only they were designing curriculum, but the kinds of interactions they wanted to build into that experience. And it really actually, like, it, it was it was really good. It still is. I actually think it's, it's almost more pertinent now than maybe it was then. I think it was a little ahead of its time. Um, but one of the things that we talk about as teachers, because you're right, and especially in online spaces, kids end up creating an incredible amount, right? Like they are just like the right, there's an in, much more writing involved. There's more producing, um, more creating, and it can be overwhelming to a teacher to manage all of that. So one of the things that we wanted educators to think about and our teachers in particular is, is when do you give and how do you give feedback and who gives it, right? So like one of the strategies that we have is teacher to student feedback, right? So knowing that when a student is writing or, you know, answering something, this is a moment that I need to give students feedback to help them grow or understand something better or to connect ideas. Another is student to student feedback, right? When, when is it okay for students to, to, you know, support each other? And actually, I mean, that becomes its own piece because being able to give somebody feedback on something means that you have a stronger understanding of it. So it's almost like an, an additional application piece to the work that they're, they're, they're engaged in. Um, and when do students need to do self-reflections, right? Which in a way is feedback to yourself. So like understanding that there are a lot of different strategies to approach when students create something can can help teachers manage some of this better. Um, because the more that we ask students to do, right, or create that's beyond taking a test or, you know, things that can be easy to give 
quantified feedback on, the more we need to be varied in our approach to how that's going to happen. Oh, that's great advice. Absolutely. Absolutely. It reminds me of of sort of writing pedagogy and and I come from English teaching and the the notion that you as an English teacher don't have to grade every single aspect of every single thing your students write. That would be insane. What? That would be insane. What are you saying? Um, But but that doesn't mean we don't ask students to do a lot of writing and a lot of practice. So So true. um, Great, great, great ideas. Appreciate, appreciate that. Um, I, I think that, I think that this is, and you've already alluded to this, so I've really appreciated it multiple times. This is such, this is such a weird current moment where like GOA has been around and has been doing this work and it's all been important forever, but oh my goodness, the past year, people like me and my job who hadn't really spent a lot of time looking at your resources and support for teachers and for folks like me, all of a sudden we're very, very hungry for, for help. We are all doing this um, online, you know, ready or not, here we go. Um, and one of my favorite things that I discovered this past summer, I think I did one of the classes on, on what you call wayfaring, right? And, and what I used to just call sort of clarity or deliberation in, in designing a platform. And this, this idea of how can we help students navigate um, this online environment, especially as you say, important for asynchronous, when you don't have those real-time moments to, in, to connect and to clarify and to fill in all the gaps that may have existed. Um, and it's hard it, as a teacher um, to do that well, and not all teachers have the same sort of uh, almost literacy toolkit to do that well. But, uh, but I love how you, in that, you really kept sort of relationships and communication at the center of the teaching enterprise. Because I think often um, before, if you were to put two pillars or two buckets and one bucket is online teaching and one bucket is, is you know, real-time face-to-face teaching, things like relationships and communication would often, people would throw them in the face-to-face real-time teaching, right? They wouldn't necessarily say that's Mm -hmm. really centered in the online. So being really thoughtful about how you've designed these experiences and courses uh, to center those um, for me, and there's now been lots of work around sort of humanity and technology and and teaching, and I think now that's, that's become much more of a thing that didn't exist even 10 years ago, right? So, so all of that to say, one really hard part for our teachers in this transition has been, oh my goodness, we do have real-time meetings, but even so, I have to be so much more clear in my directions for assignments, in my deadlines for assignments, and how I communicate my expectations, and how I communicate the content. That, that, way, that wayfaring has been really, really hard and something that we've worked quite a bit on, and we've gotten lots of good feedback from both students and parents about how to do that better. Um, so I wondered if you wanted to speak more about that or any other large challenges that you've heard um, that teachers have been really facing, those that really never have taught online and, and then suddenly were, were switched in. What other challenges have you been helping with? Yeah, and, and I think that there needs to almost be, it's, it's like, what is that? Like, there are lots of different words in it for snow with, you know, like, when you move further oh, north right. in sure. different yeah, languages. Sure. And I feel like that needs to be identified with online learning, right? Like, uh, you know, even before COVID, there were so many different versions of what people meant by online yeah. learning. And now I think there are even more. So like in the version that we're talking about, right, asynchronous with synchronous components, like some of those major shifts that that needed to occur were around teachers, redefining and rethinking their role in the classroom. Um, that's That was one of the, the biggest one. And the second that we've already talked about is that intentionality and deliberateness um, around how you are mapping out that learning experience for students, right? You, you cannot go into class and just kind of take the temperature of the room and then pivot on a dime. So you really need to put a lot of that energy and forethought into into being very explicit and clear, using visuals, limiting how much, you you know, limiting the instruction so that it doesn't get confusing, Mm -hmm. anticipating what some of the questions are going to be and trying to address them in advance. Things that we don't, you know, in a normal classroom environment, you might just say, what questions do you have? Or you'd say, and we hear this all the time, right? Like I miss being able to look at my kids in the eye and mm-hmm. you, you know, leveraging my, in, my intuition to just know that, sure. you know, who doesn't understand? Well, 
okay, I mean, that's fair, and but that takes a long time to develop that skill as a teacher. And even after a lot of time, many don't. So how can you construct um, that in advance? That's, I think, one of the big pieces. But I, I don't know if that's the experience that most teachers are having this year, right? Like, so in most of the online experiences that schools have created over the past year are more synchronous in mm -hmm. nature. Okay. Um, and, and I think that some of the challenges that they've experienced have to do with um, like some of the operational aspects of school that haven't allowed them to be more mm. innovative and experimental. Yeah. Like schedules haven't changed. Right. Right. We we um, and again, right. I, I don't want to say that schools should have done this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that this is a constraint under which teachers needed to navigate and create learning experiences for their students. So if schedules didn't change, then I just now need to move online. Right. Like I just need to teach my class for 45 minutes on the days that I'm supposed to teach right. my class. Right. I don't have to rethink anything. I just need to you know, be in a different place. Um, and so I think that that in a way is a challenge just because I think a lot of teachers may have been ready to rethink the way that they were doing things, but they didn't have to. Yeah, sure. um, again, right? Sure. And necessity we, we can drive innovation in a big way. Yeah, we faced that uh, at the beginning for uh, sure last year. You know, when when we all jumped suddenly jumped in at, to totally virtual learn, learning teaching after spring break. I mean, we had we had some teachers that were lecturing for eighty minutes. You know, we expanded the yeah. time of our classes, but a lot of that time was really supposed to be for question and answer or for kids to you know get started on their homework or whatever. And and that took a lot of really like head work for teachers to be able to change the way that they think about what is information gathering, yeah. what is information disseminating, um, and what is good for the kids too. Oh yeah, and you know, not only our teachers, so an, an, an interesting example, I think Linda's mostly talking from the upper school perspective. In our middle school, we had a radical schedule change. Um, our division head loves thinking about schedules and reimagining them, and so he changed it so it was each day was one class was on, um, so one day was a history day, one day was an English day, and that mm. And each of those days, you literally only had one focal sort of class experience where you were, okay, I'm on. I got to really pay attention. I got to jump on. I have more homework due this day, and we're going to have real-time class. Um, and that was a fascinating model. The, the other classes could assign small pieces of homework throughout the week, but you really had one week. And what was fascinating is from our vantage point as instructional coaches and as faculty, this was really done in honor of wellness, but also because we know how... Uh, we know sort of best practice around it, you know, so we were really emphasizing the asynchronous throughout the week and then the synchronous. Really, we were excited about it and we thought, this is innovative. No one else is doing this around. Everyone else is having these crazy schedules where they're on the computer all day. And what we found is, in general, parents were concerned, right? They said, where's my real, where, we need more real time with the teachers. There's no, there's no teaching going on. We don't see it. It's not what we expected. This isn't what school's supposed to be. Um, and that was our biggest sort of critique. And so it was a tough spot to be. And I know for our, our division had to think through, we know sort of what's working well for our students and for our faculty and a lot is getting done. Um, but, but how can we also then translate that and articulate that well to, to all the stakeholders in our community, not just faculty, but parents and students as well. So, and, and that goes back to that North Star idea, right? So when we were at the beginning of all this working with schools, one of the things that we were advising schools to do was articulate your North Star, right? It, say what you're, you believe the pedagogy should be at your school. And, and without judgment, right? I mean, there are some schools, if you're a traditional program, just say that, right? Yeah, sure. And then design... <laughs> That's towards right. that That's right. in your online program. If you are a progressive school that believes in PBL, That's say right. that mm -hmm. and then design for that. Yeah. And so I think one of the challenges that schools ran into this year, and, and some, some were challenged by it and others flourished with this, was the communication aspect, right? That's right. If you are able to say very clearly, like, this is what we believe, this is how we're supporting our teachers to design experiences that align to that, and this is what is going to look different, but how it's also the same, 
I think it was uh, like those schools really, I think, heard from parents and guardians less than schools that, you know, just just went online and, you know, students talked about their experiences at home rather than the school talking directly to parents and guardians about what was happening. Um, So I think you're spot on with that. Well, thank you so much for all of that. Um, So we're going to switch gears a little bit to something that's really near and dear to our hearts. And I, and I know it's also near and dear to yours. Um, This podcast is really meant as a resource for all of the teachers in Mississippi and this in the country, anyone that wants to listen, um, not just for independent schools. And so we're really interested in, in thinking about all of these ideas and all of these approaches for folks that may not be a GOA member school or, you know, have access uh, to the same sorts of um, opportunities. And um, you've talked a lot sort of about loss and how when we face loss, right, kind of taking advantage of the constraints and affordances of each particular learning platform or approach. So I wonder if we can think together about how we do this hard work, and it is hard work of teaching and learning, whether you're face-to-face or you're online. But as we move forward right into, gosh, it's April 1st right now here. Um, And so April 1st, 2021. Stop it. Wow, 2021. How can we do this while keeping in mind these commitments to equity, to justice, and naming systemic racism in schooling? I think, you know, Dana Boyd does some really interesting work around sort of technology and how technology doesn't necessarily create inequity, but it makes it visible sometimes in a way that is more vivid Mm -hmm. and permeable, you know, permanent. Um, And so anyway, anything in relation to these themes of this current moment, which has not just been about the pandemic, but it's also been an increasing awareness of sort of systemic um, inequities in our positioning in those. And, and so how can, how can we, how can we do these things with those in mind? Yeah. And, and I think it's important to say, right, like it, it's not, this goes back to a lot of different pieces of this. It's not necessarily about the technology, right? Like it, wherever that learning is taking place, that focus on equity and justice needs to be, be a priority for schools, no matter what the learning environment. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely like technical aspects of this that need to be addressed by schools, right? Ensuring that all students do have access, being aware as educators that, you know, having your video on at home may not be an equitable practice. Um, being aware that synchronous t- schedules during the, the week may not support students who now have to babysit or, right? Like there are so many extenuating circumstances, but I think that the, the idea that, that, that over, arches over all of this is just being aware of students' unique experiences mm-hmm. and that we approach these kids with empathy and compassion, no matter what, where, who, or when, it needs to be the baseline that we apply to all of our students in all of our schools, um, by all teachers, by all administrators. Uh, that is the work. Um, and then we also, I think, need to address it beyond that into rethinking what we teach, right? What are the resources that we're deciding to read? What are the, right, just being more culturally relevant um, to the students that we're working with is is definitely something that we need to be doing. And then I think too, looking at, I mean, these are all, each one of these (laughs) is is gigantic, but equitable grading practices, Mm -hmm. Um, right? Just, I was talking to a student recently and they were saying that their teachers created rubrics for a writing class. And when all the students did poorly, the parents and guardians all wrote in and they wanted, basically they wanted that fluff put back in, which is not an equitable practice. Um, They didn't like it when you took out the fluff factor of, you know, how much effort do I think you put into it? Let me give you a grade for that rather than here are the things that we're looking for and here's where you are and the growth that I want to see. So I think there's like a lot of work that schools also need to do. I think this is an overarching idea as well, how we are working with parents and guardians to educate them on what we are doing in schools. I think over the past year, 
one of the things that we've seen is a recognition by parents and guardians that they are not, in fact, teachers, um, <laughs> despite having gone to school themselves, that right. does not qualify them to be educators. And I think we need to really lean into that professionalization uh-huh. of the teaching profession, which is helping parents and guardians better understand why we do what we do. And and nobody, they're not thinking about it as deeply as we are, but we can't just think about it and do it in our schools without sharing with them the why and the how. Um, so I think, you know, again, that connecting with parents and guardians is going to be a big piece of, of building the equitable practices. That's great. And, and some of us who are educators learned we are not educators for our own children. <laughs> Julie Rust learned that. Hey, I have educated my own children for years and they love my classes. Oh my. <laughs> Do you have a first grader and a fourth grader no. and a seventh grader? Okay. No, just no. Pass. Yep. Yep. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. But you know, but but that really speaks to to all of this all of this press about how kids have really lost up to a year of learning. You know, and I know that that I talked to um, some of my friends who are in really small town Mississippi, and in the public schools, kids just don't show up. You know, they don't show up for their virtual courses. They're not nope. doing their work, and they really, really are losing so much of of the momentum that that school is. You know, is is such a part of, um, and and that whole communication piece that that you were talking about speaks to. A uh, couple articles that you've wrote, that you've written. I did a little homework. Um, you did uh, about a year and a half ago. You did 20 predictions um, for for education, and then you followed it up just really recently with eight maybe more nuanced predictions for education. So I was wondering if maybe you could speak to one or two of your favorites um, on those lists and uh, and and help us out with this. Sure. I was looking back at at the 20. 20- <laughs> How could I mean, you possibly know? <laughs> right. I, I just, you know, to review in advance, just so I'm on my game. Um, but there were a lot that definitely apply to today. Absolutely. I think the ones that stand out still, and I think I even, this was part one of the eight is educator competencies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I, I think one of the other things that was highlighted this year was that teachers weren't ready for what they had to do. So true. And, you know, the whole ethos of close your door and things are going well as long as parents and guardians don't complain is no longer okay. I think schools, one of the things that happened this past year especially was that schools drove, there was a North Star for what they wanted their their faculty to know how to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't theoretical, it was yeah. skills-based. Yeah. And I think we need to go back to that. So thinking about school as a learning community for not just students, but yeah. for educators, and I'll even extend that to parents and guardians as well. I think that's gonna be a, a new big trend that we're gonna see with schools. Um, but But being really clear about what does great teaching at our school look like? This is, we kind of touched on this earlier and identifying those skills and traits and characteristics that a successful teacher at that, at each school um, demonstrates on a regular basis. And right. What does it mean to work towards mastery as a teacher and then designing and having available coaching and professional learning opportunities that will support that. You know, the idea that because you've taught for, you know, 25 years means you're a master teacher. Well, I'm based on what? Like time, this is like Carnegie units, right? Time in a class doesn't mean you've learned the material. Time in a classroom doesn't mean that you've reached some, you know, Zen state. So <laughs> I think, and, and, and every other profession is very clear about this, right? Doctors, lawyers, everybody, mechanics, Right. Like as you you need to keep learning, the technology is going to continue to change. You need to keep upskilling. And I think that is something that schools really need to lean into um, in in a big way. Sure. That makes sense. And and then the other one I would add is wellness. That idea Mm -hmm. of 
I think, and again, as this applies to teachers, we've talked a lot about wellness for students. Yes. I think we need to, especially this year, I'm seeing my friends struggle. Yes, I'm yes. struggling, right? Yes. Like this is hard. Yes, right. And we need to think about how we are supporting the health and well-being of the teachers in our communities um, and our students. But but everybody is having a hard time and it's not just going to go away. This is something I think that needs to be built into the way that we do school. Yeah. Um, so thinking about teacher schedules, yeah. how can we make those more flexible? Yeah. I'm hearing from teachers that they actually do appreciate the ability to not be in at eight or mm -hmm. to have days where they can work from home. Yeah. Every other industry is shifting to that. Not every other, but many. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's interesting to think about how that might apply to schools uh, moving forward as well. It's kind of like that that little checkbox. How much seat time you know do you have mm. for the students? And it's also how much seat time do you have for the teachers? And is there a way to be more flexible about that? I think that that's that's so important. Oh yeah, and I I really like how you pair those two things. I think often people either emphasize the wellness aspect that faculty need wellness or they emphasize the sort of mastery competency growth piece. Right. But to pair them together, I think, is right on target. Because what I really believe about teachers and what I found in my own practice is that we are rejuvenated and made well by thoughtful, stimulating experiences in which we can engage in creative professional work, right? And it does not, this kind of growth model or this kind of competency thing does not look like remediation. It does not look like you aren't doing mm -hmm. enough. You aren't working hard enough. You don't care enough. And I think when those programs feel that way to teachers, they're detrimental to the school, they're detrimental to the culture. Mm -hmm. And I know at our school, we're really, really invested in, in highlighting the, the amazing expertise of our faculty in a variety of ways through things like podcasts, inviting folks onto podcasts to interview. And what we're going to do after this podcast, in fact, is give us a group of faculty across all divisions this interview, and they're going to listen to it, and they're going to come together and talk about the ideas together. For mm. me, that is growth, right? Growth is not you need to learn this thing, you can't, you're not doing it well enough, but it's really creating opportunities because that is what's stimulating. And Mm -hmm. I've had those moments this year, too, where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired. And there are certain aspects of our work that are rejuvenating and energizing, and then there are certain aspects of our work that is draining. And can we build up in this pursuit of growth and wellness? Can we build up more opportunities? It's not just taking away work, right? Because I think often we think for wellness, oh, faculty are tired, so we need to take away as many things off their plate. That's not, I don't think that's the way to move either. I think it's instead thinking about this balanced sort of diet, this dinner meal plan, right? Of, well, what are the various things teachers are doing? Okay, those things, those are draining and those are taking away the energy on and their focus away from what needs to be there. But anyway, I just, I love how you brought out those two things in, in, together in juxtaposition. I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, I've been, thinking about just the way we just like a framework for thinking about how schools operate. And I imagined it as like a triangle with program at the top, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the pinnacle of what we do. Um, at the bottom are operations, right? Systems, processes, operations, like the foundation of the school. Without those, you can't, you just can't do the work. Sure. And in the middle is the culture piece, mm -hmm. right? Almost like the peanut butter in the sandwich. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the faculty. This is the culture of the school. It's the way that you develop trust and the way that people just kind of are together. And you need all three. They all are codependent. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, again, like in order to be able to build some of the, uh, like the program and that culture piece, you do need some of that operational stuff in place, which creates like a, it, it, it can lower to your point, the cognitive load, yeah, right? Yeah, so right, right. a lot of schools at the beginning, like a year ago, were, were figuring, were beginning to understand that they couldn't leave it up to every teacher to figure out what platform they were going right. to use. Right. So lower the cognitive load. Yes. This is the platform we're going right. to use. Yes. These are the programs that we're going to use, mm -hmm. right? Like, 
what are the things that we just don't need to have everyone thinking about nice. anymore? Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think that's really important um, for schools to, to know. You know, they think that these things are, um, you know, really important to everyone, but at the end of the day, they're not really. And it's like everybody would be happy if just decide. Just make right? the call and then support me to do it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. And then we can focus on the other things. Then support me and build that trust with me and know yes. that we're partners in this is the culture piece so that I can develop and offer a program to students that is top notch. Mm, sure. I like that. I do too. I like, I wrote down the triangle. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> um, how are we on time? I think if you want to ask the, fle the flexible, cause I know you're excited about this next question and then we've got to, we're, we got to wrap up. Um, but we have two questions that are just sort of fun freebies at the end. Yes. Uh, are you okay if we're on um, about 10 more minutes? Sure. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, so so I think that that what you just talked about, um, you know, kind of that administrative level uh, sort of segues into this question. Um, you know, one of your predictions is that, is that virtual is going to be with us, right? And we just need to, we kind of need to get used to that idea. But I'm wondering, what do you see the hurdles um, with with kind of that thinking because i know everybody is ready to get back to normal school right get back to in person get back to having kids in the classroom um but but i i'm with you i think the genie's out of the bottle on virtual learning so so where where do you how do you see schools navigating um adding the virtual into the in-person you know, we I, I touched on this earlier, and I still think it exists. This has existed for a really long time. I mean, for ever since I've been doing this. So for 10 years, this has existed. But I think it's still part of the mindset for some folks when it comes to thinking about where this fits moving forward. And that is that this these two online and in person are somehow at odds with each right. other, that they're they're in conflict that they're, you know, one is they're just, we need to move past that. Right. Like we talk about, we've been saying this for a long time that online is a platform, not a pedagogy, right? Online is just a place where learning happens. Just like on campus is a place where learning happens. Each has benefits, mm -hmm. each has, you know, losses. Mm -hmm. We can acknowledge those and build from there. Um, but I agree, you know, that barrier, I wrote this earlier this year, that barrier to online education is gone. Sure. Students like it. Mm -hmm. Students for many, 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 many kids, they like different aspects of it. They like the flexibility mm -hmm. that it gives them in their schedule, right? A course that they can, they can engage with when they're ready is huge. Um, and they recognize that sleeping a little later as a teenager mm. makes oh. them feel better yes things we've thing. known for a really long right. time and yet we can't yeah. seem to make part of the school day yeah. um there are also a lot of students who really like the format they like having extra time to think about what it is they're learning to connect what they're learning to other ideas mm. that class doesn't have to be reserved for or being successful in class isn't reserved for the kid who can process very quickly yeah. and raise her hand, sure. right? And 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 I think when we start to kind of just move away from the you know this versus that, and I, and really I know it sounds trite at this point. Look for those silver linings and successes that we'll see that there is a place for this. Students want this. Faculty want this. Um, like a faculty member being able to say that you're only meeting in person twice a week and the rest is asynchronous could actually open up not just tremendous new ideas for the work that they design for class, but the way that they approach, you know, when do they need to be on campus and can they work remotely for a day of the week? Those are big questions schools are going to need to grapple with sooner rather than later. Yes. Um I yeah. love I love how you talk about the flow between the digital and the non-digital and it used to be in in like literacy studies when we talked about literacies we talked about you know online digital 
or physical. And, and I think a good analogy for this is how we do friendship as teenagers, right? And how mm. friendship is the thing. We're in pursuit of friendship. That's the goal. That's the thing. But within a given day, um, first thing, I might jump on FaceTime and say, hey. Then I might check my social media and like someone's post. Then I get to school and I see them in person and I ask them how their weekend was. And then I take a picture of both of us. Well, we're actually in person, but we're taking a picture and we're posting it online. It is a constant in and out interweaving and the ways in which we make friendship happen. It's not yep. about, is this a virtual friendship or is this a physical? No, of course we're utilizing all the tools at our disposal to establish these social affiliations and all the ways that we do as teenagers. And, um, and they're not all safe and they're not all good and it's not, right, it's messy, but this is being human. And I think if, if that's how we do friendship, that's how we do education, and, and it's not new, but it is interesting how I think there's been a real move to, to, note, to recognizing this constant interweaving back and forth. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, we need to get you out of here. This has been an incredible conversation. We have two two kind of silly questions to end on, but we're asking all our guests, and we have found these answers really, really actually fascinating. So, Okay, so I need to know who was your favorite teacher and why? So I'm going to – I love that question, and it makes me immediately think of two ways that I want to answer it. One is the teacher I had in – I had her for fifth and sixth grade, Mrs. White. And she, I remember she pulled me up once at the front of the class and just whispered. And she said, imagination is more important than knowledge. The Albert Einstein quote. Oh, she's and I've brilliant. always remembered that. Um, did you, had you just failed a test or something? Like, why I think did she pull so. I think I, I think I did poorly on something. Oh, I love that. And I have an older sister who always was very, like, good grades. Yeah, and yeah, whenever yeah, I was yeah. in a class, if the teacher said, oh, are you Karen's brother? Mm. I was like, ah, oh, oh, yeah. I know I'm, this is a good sign. Yeah. Um, yeah because yeah. she was such a good student. I was, you know, more again on, like, the, the creative side. So I have always appreciated that. But I also, on the flip side of that, Another amazing teacher is somebody that I co-taught a math class with. Mm. Um, her name was Anna, is Anna. And she taught me, like, this is the other, the flip side to imagination. She taught me, like, the beauty behind numbers oh, in math yeah, that's and how important it is to actually, like, really firmly understand the, the, the content um, and to be an expert in that. So I think that's that balance, but man, like I could teach and I could run the classroom. I could explain things, yeah. but the way that she taught me the understanding behind it was really like just something artful and beautiful that, that's great. that changed me as a teacher. I think we all could use somebody like that in our lives as teachers. I really. would just love to co-teach in every class is yeah. really what I believe. I think we would all come be on here. into my class. Okay. Yes, girl, we could do it. We could do it. Thank you for that double-pronged answer. Um, last question of the day is, is you know, if you could sort of, you know, be the magical wizard of the world and make everyone read the same book, let's say teachers, let's say give teachers, all the teachers in all the places, a book, and they would read it, and then they would, like, I don't know, feel it in some way and implement it in some way. What, what's the book? Hmm. I mean, definitely something by Dewey because mm. we're not really rethinking anything. We're just doing everything. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Through different platforms, yeah. But I would say the one that stands out that I always recommend to people is An Ethic of Excellence by mm. Ron Berger. I haven't read it. Um, it's short and fast, but wow, it is yeah. a powerful read um, and a great conversation starter. Cool. Is it a, is it about education or is it just about an ethic yeah. of it's about education? Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. He's I have teacher. not heard of this. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Well, absolutely. I'm getting Linda, I'm getting a book list from these amazing oh, guests we're it. having. So we, that. and, and just a range of really interesting things. Some I've read, but this one I've never even heard of. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to check it out. Awesome. Um, it has just been so good to, to sit down with you, Michael, and we're sorry to hold you a bit late. Um, this has just been really, really exciting to, 
gosh, it's just, it's so good to sit down. I like to talk in the clouds, but I really, really like to talk in the boots on the ground reality of what's happening. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt that so much with you. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Michael, I'm such a big fan and it, it really has, has just started my day so well today talking to you. And thank you again for, for giving us your time and, and your knowledge and expertise. We really appreciate it. Oh, I feel so fortunate to have had this conversation with you. Thank you for inviting me. It was really a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, we will be sending you, um, as soon as the recording is edited, we'll be sending it your way if you're interested in sharing it with, with all of the folks that you uh, network with. And um, I'll also be sending you a message begging for your address because we have some other thank yous we want to send your way. Um, so, um, but this has just been great. I, I, I am so glad that we are connected to GOA oh, and I'm so glad Linda's our connecting glue. Absolutely. She's the best one to be and thank you. Um, just hope we can uh, continue to collaborate and, um, you know, just very, very grateful for all that GOA has created and produced um, just really high quality stuff. I've been so impressed. So thanks. Thank thanks to you. you. Thanks to all the folks that work with you. Yeah. yeah thanks, Michael. Thank you both so much. Hey, all you K-12 teachers out there. Thanks for all you do. Now get out there and try some stuff.